Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I blame my parents for this sort of duality that I have, right? Because my dad is a CFO. My mom is a musician. Right brain, left brain. It's totally their fault. I can't pick a side. I am what they call a whole brainer. I do use both sides of my brain equally as well, I am just as comfortable drafting a contract as I am in it. And I love them both. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Juanita Ingram. Actress, author, entrepreneur, attorney. So many amazing things. And in this episode, we talk a lot about her amazing show, which is called The Expats International Ingrams. And what it is, is a docu-series that sheds light on her journey from corporate attorney to stay-at-home mom while living and traveling with her children in another country. The show also follows her life and how it is to live abroad and discover and adapt to new cultures while dealing with everyday necessities of her family. She's someone that has gone through the uh, different types of emotions that one goes through when you're uh, a wife of an expat and then when you become an entrepreneur while being an expat. I particularly resonate with this story because my mom, as many of you might know, was, you know, is rather the wife of a a diplomat or a Thai diplomat now. And I grew up as a son of a diplomat. And so, you know, as she was telling the story, I just remember what it was like growing up and watching my mom do these amazing things and just raising three boys while, you know, being the superhero that she is and has always been it was all inspired and such is the same for Juanita and her story I, I really enjoyed getting to know her and how she discovered what her passion was while being abroad and what it's like to be black and abroad I hope you enjoyed the episode the link to the show if you are interested in season one is in the show notes and they have aspirations to do more seasons as well as spin-offs. check it out Welcome everyone to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Juanita Ingram. Now, she's a mother, lawyer, philanthropist, and a producer living in Taiwan. So currently we have, I believe, a 12-hour difference between us, and uh, Juanita and her family relocated from the States to London for her husband's job and then on to Taiwan, where they've been living during COVID. Her story is remarkable, as her area of, of interest is 
it's been shut down due to COVID, I believe, right? You, you had to, to, to shut it down and then open it back up. But something that I, I think you will find out in the interview is that she's a, a very creative and amazing entrepreneur, and she never lets anything uh, stop her down. Uh, she's, she's uh, in, in addition to navigating, moving, and parenting and school in a new country, she's also the star of an unscripted show which is called the expats uh, international ingrams and she is an author as well which we'll dive into in in the in the episode so welcome to the show thank you so much what an amazing intro and thank you so much for having me i'm excited to be here <laughs> well, the pleasure is mine and the funny thing about the intro is that it is your life i know that sometimes when you're hearing it on the other side you're like wow i that was me but it, it is you yeah I, I i got tired i got exhausted just <laughs> no, but thank you thank you so much you're so welcome uh, but i gotta ask you how it all started right because right now before we hit record i said your kids are living the life that i did because my dad was a, a diplomat i'm from nigeria and growing up in five countries and four continents certainly shaped my worldview and informed what i do now with my career but i'm curious though did you always know that you were going to travel no no, so I am from uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, small town in comparison to some of the places I'm living now, um, but didn't really know that I would travel internationally. Uh, didn't leave the United States until my honeymoon. So mm -hmm. that was the first time. And it's funny because my husband and I, we talk about this on the show and then we, we just talk about it in general all the time. Uh, I had this feeling that we were destined to live internationally, but I had no reason to have that feeling. I had no evidence that that was coming, no reason to feel that way, had never really left the country. I mean, I'd done like different internships in college in like New Jersey and New York area. Um, that was like as far out as I had gone from Tennessee. So I went to undergrad in Nashville, Tennessee, law school in Memphis, Tennessee. Like I was a Tennessee girl. And like a lot of Americans, you know, we don't often leave. I think it's a bigger push now to travel. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly years ago, decades ago, it, it wasn't. And so growing up in Tennessee, I had no idea that I would move around. Certainly not in my kids' age that they're at now and haven't seen all these different countries. And they've been on three continents now if you count the U.S. as their home country right, right. Um, and no I felt that when we got married and I'm a very you know spiritual person my relationship with God is very important to me I really feel like it was just like the Holy Spirit like you're gonna live abroad and I was just like okay and I told my husband I thought we should take a honeymoon outside of the U.S. Mm. and got a lot of pushback from certain family members and friends. I won't call any names. You know who you are. Um, but <laughs> they were like, why can't you go to Florida? Or why can't y'all go to Punta Cana? Why do you have to go to Italy? And I just felt like it was what we needed to do. And then every year after that, on our, honey, on our anniversary, we decided to go to another country. So we did Spain. Our second year, like we backpacked across Spain. We did Paris the year after that. And then fourth year of marriage, had ki had my kids. 
And then lo and behold, here comes London. And so, you know, it, I don't think we would have felt comfortable to live abroad initially had we not traveled in Europe prior to that. This is interesting because I was, I was also reading, you, you, you admitted that you and, and your husband weren't the best travelers at first. They, oh, we were trash. Yeah. I was trash. They were trash. No, we were trash. We were trash. No, no. On the continuum of travelers, no, we were all the way over there. It was bad. Um, we were like wearing the little fanny pack, bum back thing under their shirt, though, because we just swore everyone was going to pickpocket us. Everyone. And so he would keep the money belt underneath his shirt. I would stand with my back against him as a lookout while he would go in the belt to get cash, to do whatever. Like we were just really overly precautious. Um, not that that not that you shouldn't be in travel with awareness and safety, but it was it was overkill. We overpacked for everything. We didn't have appropriate like gear that made sense to travel with. Um, we didn't travel with a garment bag or anything like that, but darn near, like it was just, it was just bad. Um, but we evolved, we yeah. evolved. Uh, Cause that second trip that we took when we backpacked like across Spain, we had evolved since then. So we did a lot of, lot of evolution in those early years, um, got our gear together. And uh, yeah, yeah, we are we're totally different now. Like I mean, I, I'm coming out with my own, uh, packing cubes and luggage line because <laughs> I know what I need. And, and it's, uh, yeah, we're, the evolution has been amazing. And now you're changing for black folks all over the world traveling because, you know, now we see some Instagram pages pop up, but it hasn't been that way, right? Whenever travel yep. narratives have been around, which is why your show is such a great um, idea and great concept for representation because we don't see enough black families in, in different parts of the world. And me not being American, of course, I knew that, but it, it wasn't, you know, you couldn't see it. Right, <laughs> you know, right. In the media. So, huh, interesting. Yeah. So London. Yes. London happens. So you, 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 I mean, you're an amazing businesswoman, you know, by yourself. You're also a lawyer and you're, you're doing all these things. What happens when your husband says his job is taking him to London? Huh? What is going through your head? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, um, questions and that's told by nomads. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. Um, I think with it being our first international move, mm -hmm. um, it was a mixed bag of feelings initially. Being that, you know, I, and I have friends that that run the, the gamut in terms of their backgrounds and experiences. For me as a practicing lawyer who had worked really, really hard, you know, I tell people all the time, like nobody goes to law school, gets a JD and a master's degree in business, passes the bar the first time in Tennessee. Then I met my husband, got married, had to move to another state, take the bar exam again, because I hadn't practiced long enough to wave in. So I took the bar twice, passed twice. Wow. That was a lot of work. Um, no one does that because they don't want to be a lawyer. So I, I loved being a lawyer. I still love being a lawyer. I had not fully explored all the different ways in which you can be a lawyer and what does and what that meant. So I was still in very much the traditional mode 
um, working at a law firm. And in my mind, immediately when he said that, on one hand, I was elated and excited and thought, this is amazing. On the other hand, I was thinking selfishly, uh, but naturally and honestly, oh my gosh, what does this mean for my career? I had no idea what a trailing spouse was. Um, once I heard the term, I was like, mm, that sounds like dead roadkill, like I'm some kind of squirrel that got hit by a car and here I you dragging me along. I'm like, what the heck? I didn't like the term. Um, I didn't like the feeling, didn't like the, the experience. London was very transformational. I think I wasted, and I tell this in, in just in full transparency, maybe to help some other trailing spouses and help some people. Everybody's journey is going to be different. I really feel like I wasted the first few months in London in a flux of trying to deal with change. Yeah. And as mm -hmm. adults, change is either something that is exciting to you or something that invokes um, a recall, reflex, uh, regret, uh, looking back and seeing and looking backwards instead of looking forwards. I think I spent the first four months on a couch in London, sank into a little bit of sadness and depression because I had to soul search and figure out who was I outside of being this traditional idea of lawyer and what did it mean for me and what was I going to do? And, you know, we all need purpose every day. And for me, I love being a mother. I love being a wife. I was all of those things and more the day my husband met me. And that doesn't change. Women don't become one dimensional, two dimensional, or even three dimensional just because they're in a particular season. So it was transformational. I had to go through a lot of growth, but it was the best thing in the world. And um, we're going to get to why, though. We're going to get to why. But the reason why I love yeah. what you're saying is because my, I saw my mom go through this. Mm -hmm. And my mom's the strongest woman I know. And, she, you know, she raised three boys. I'm, I'm one of three. And trailing spouse, this idea of not doing your job and going out four years and going back and forth. I, I look at that and I look at the gender roles and the way people define gender roles. And I know for a fact that women are more than what society defines them as. And so hearing your story, I know that there are people listening, understanding that they're not less than. Uh, for that. That's why I was very interested in that internal narrative, that dialogue. You know, did you and your husband come to a term or an agreement where you say, I'm doing this now, but I'm not just this? Or, yeah. yeah. Um, I wish we had. I don't think that we had the tools to even know what we were doing and what we were going through. I had no idea what trailing spouse depression was until I started researching the term and the experience of trailing spouse for the show. Uh, I had the idea and the concept for the show while I was living in London, probably about five or six years ago. Mm. And mm -hmm. I started doing research on fully explaining what a trailing spouse was. Then I learned about trailing spouse syndrome and depression and I finally got to put a name. I was like, oh, so that's what that was. Yeah. I had yeah. no idea even going through that, that that's what it was. Um, Sometimes when you're when you're existing in the corporate setting and it's your spouse and you're you're trailing, and you know I, in the in the show I, I fondly and jokingly referred to there are certain stages you know there's levels to this so you start out as a trailing spouse and then you evolve to the accompanying spouse and you start out because if I'm trailing that means you dragging 
I was, <laughs> I was like, you the drag is you dragging me along this journey, and I felt like I was being drugged. And then you evolved to the sponsoring spouse, to the supporting spouse. But what we didn't have a conversation about it, and it was a very trying experience, mainly because it was my process. I had, and and he was not aware of how serious that process is. I mean, I think you try to be as sensitive to your spouse as you possibly can, but you do get into this place where trailing spouses, and I've seen it in friends, I've seen it in myself, I'm being honest, because um, you can't do an unscripted show and not be honest about yourself. Uh, you get into this place where you get resentful and you it turns into bitterness and you're like, oh, oh, the sacrifice. You know, I'm making this sacrifice for the greater good and for the family and for your career and you're not really focused on what benefit, tremendous benefit this could actually be for me because you're so focused on what you're giving up in the idea and the concept of the sacrifice and not the fact that you're actually just shifting into a new role. And you can't shift into that new role still trying to hang on to, to, to the other season. You have to give yourself permission first. It gets complicated. Cause like as a lawyer, I have colleagues and friends that are like, are you sure you know what you're doing? Wow, because the first time we I quit a job, I was um, uh, outside or inside internal counsel. I was contracted, but I was in counsel for Rolls Royce. Very nice job. As my as my mother was saying, growing up, you know, you had a good job. Don't you go quitting that good job? You know, it's what you hear your family like. Are you sure about what it is you're doing? Um, I wanted to be a judge at one point in time, that still can happen. But in your mind, you think about all that you're giving up and you don't focus on the opportunities that are in front of you. Wow. And so you have to come out of that place or else you sink. And then, um, you know, I had to give myself permission. You hear colleagues all the time, like, oh, what does this mean for your career? And well, that depends on how you define career. So you have to reset and set new goals and set new things and redefine yourself. But it starts with you, although initially you will project that to everybody else. And it's everybody's fault, but your own, that you're unhappy. But your happiness is nobody else's job, no matter what situation that you're in. And then I looked at... Um, when I really came into, because people often ask me like, okay, you went from trailing spouse clearly to a company spouse to, to owning it spouse, like, like in this lane and you're not swimming in it, you're owning it and it's like, you didn't create a whole show about it. Um, you don't have to do that to, to, to be in this great place. But I did research uh, wolf packs and how packs of wolves function. Uh, just coming to grips with this term trailing spouses. At first I was like, oh, I hate the term trailing spouses. You're, you're behind someone. And I looked at packs of wolves and how they operate. And, you know, the young and the older wolves are in the front, the weaker ones. The working wolves that go out and hunt and do all the work and bring in providers, they're in the middle. And then the wiser wolves that are actually managing and leading are trailing behind to make sure that everybody's okay, to make sure that everybody's getting what they need, that nothing's getting left behind. And so if you have to redefine the concept of trailing spouse for the role that you need it to be for you. For me, um, 
I will never get this time back with my children. You know, my daughter is 13 now, my son is 11. And if I had stayed in a traditional trajectory of being a lawyer, I look at a lot of my friends and they have great careers, great lives, being a present mom, you know, hanging in the back and making sure everybody has what they need. I may have never had an excuse to give myself that, but for this. And then to redefine and pour into all the other aspects of everything that I am. I had all those books inside of me. I never wrote a single book until I moved to London. I didn't have time. Yeah, all I was yeah. doing was practicing law, uh, but they were all there. And I knew, and I, that's, it, that's why they just poured out because they had been there. I just didn't have time. I didn't look at the benefit of redefining of new seasons and the new opportunities that they bring. So wow. that was the evolution. We didn't have the conversation. We just went through the process through fire. <laughs> and here we are. Just wanted to stop by here before we get back to the episode. I wanted to let you all know that I do have a collective for people who are interested in developing their cultural competency skills, becoming more anti-racist. And it's a resource of things that you can do with your family, with your school, with yourself to work through your individual journey to become a better culturally competent leader. It's called UID Collective, and the link is in the show notes, but it's a mix of courses. It's a mix of resources, things you can download, and all you need to do is sign up as a member. It's a monthly membership. I'd love for you to check it out. Use it with your friends. Use it with your family. Use it with yourself. Okay, the link is in the show notes. It's called UID Collective, and it's for those of you that want to improve your cultural competency skills. Back to the episode. <laughs> but it, it sounds like it's um, it's something that needed to happen because you you just brought it up there. You you started to transition from attorney to author in the UK. But another thing that happened to you is you tapped into your dramatic aspects of life. You 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 signed with an acting agency in London. You made yeah. your feature film debut. You're elite actress in a, yeah. In a film. Yeah, I, I know well and you know it's funny because my mom um i blame my parents for this sort of duality that i have right because my dad is a cfo my mom is a musician right brain left brain it's totally their fault i can't pick a side i am what they call a whole brainer i do use both sides of my equally as well i am just as comfortable drafting a contract as i am in acting and i love them both um, my mother started me out in theater as a young child. And then I just grew up and I adulted. I just didn't think about it. Um, but I loved it. I, I didn't think about it, but I did think about it. It was always in the back of my mind. I would watch films and I would think to myself, I would have done that differently. You know, or I would have, I would have played that differently. I would, I would do things like that, um, constantly. And so again, taking a break and exploring all of the other sides of me. I decided one day after I competed in Mrs. World um, competition, I was like, you know, I wonder if, what if I just auditioned? And I know London is a hard market, but I'm, I'm, I'm out here, <laughs> you know, I'm rolling the dice on what all I can do, why not? And I went and auditioned and got signed and I first, Independent feature did I did get a from the British Urban Festival the Best Actress nomination, and so that's when I was thinking. That's the first time I thought, okay, you know, I guess I guess so. Um, but if you never try, you never know. The worst thing you can do is just 
not succeed and you learn that that's not for you and you move on to something else. But I've, um, my type A personality out in every aspect of everything that I, I can't, I kill that. I just apply it to different things. Yeah, this is so inspirational to me because <laughs> you're saying you're dropping all these gems, but did you just casually drop that you perform, you or did, you were in Miss World? Or is that was, did oh, you? Oh, yeah. That's not the kind of thing you can. <laughs> you I was trying. I was like, let me not interrupt. But you just, you, I think you said Miss World. Well, you just, uh, you were there. It was Mrs. So, so there are there are certain tiers. So when you get married, so there, you know, there's Miss M I S S. There's teen, mm. and then there's Mrs. So yeah. there are three tiers. You sometimes there's Ms. M S, but it's usually for women who are either widowed or divorced or married or just too old to be Miss. But there are different levels so there's always a mrs universe there's a mrs world there's a mrs world international there's a mrs international there's a mrs america so um yeah i represented the united kingdom um and i was mrs world united kingdom 2012 yeah. mrs universe yeah. united kingdom 2013 Jeez. and then i went on to win Miss world international so i you know um, I clean up. Right. <laughs> I clean up. But, but it's not the kind of thing that you just. I don't really. I tell people that was like ten years and twenty pounds ago. <laughs> I tell people. It's yeah. Still, it's yeah. Still but it was. But what it did was, and and then this is a totally different topic of of pageantry and and womanhood and you know that whole thing, womanism and all of that. But I I met some of the most amazing inspirational women from all over the world. I mean, it was 65 contestants from all over the world. And um, it was just a beautiful experience in terms of seeing global women's empowerment. Yeah. And, you know, everybody on that stage was like a doctor, lawyer, and Indian chief. So just to be there was just a life-changing experience. And it, it really did give me the boost to say, okay, what else are you holding back on? Have you not taken the opportunity to do? Now that you have the time to try to do these other things, what have you always wanted to do? And I think I've, I've talked to other expats, other people that, especially black people that are living abroad, especially coming from the US. It is, you know, right now we're at such a state of craziness in terms of race relations and issues that are happening, whether it be Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot now because it's on video. These things aren't new. The experiences aren't new. The PTSD that comes from living in those environments aren't new. Um, my 41st birthday, when we were living in the United States, uh, I was pulled over right outside of my home. And then immediately when I rolled the window down to hand him my license and registration, his hand immediately went on his gun and with no question. And there was no box for me to check to say, hey, I'm a lawyer, don't do that. you know. And so um, living in my neighborhood, in my nice home that everybody's like, oh, your home is so beautiful in this show. That's great. My kids sold lemonade at the pool and someone called the police on them. These things have been happening for centuries and we're tired. And sometimes you don't even have the mental break or the capacity to be all that you can be because you're surviving. Yeah. And yeah. to leave 
and to get a mental break from all that. You can't escape racism. The racism is everywhere, but it is different. And I tell people all the time, yes, Taiwan is not a perfect place. There's no perfect place. There are microaggressions that happen here. Sometimes the elevator doors open and people jump like they've seen a ghost, like you ain't never seen black people before, but that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, on, yeah. on the are screen. You no. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. You know, you know yeah. exactly what I mean. Yeah. Like, you know, but is that going to kill me? No, it is not. It, are, are the police officers here going to pull me over and put a gun to my no, they are not. You know, we had a Black Lives Matter um, solidarity rally last summer, which made it into the show. And the police helped set up and take down stuff. Like they were just there to help. It's right. a totally different experience. It's not without impact of white supremacy. It's, it's global, it's everywhere. It just manifests differently. When we were living in the UK, you know, on average, most police officers are not allowed to carry guns. It's a different type of experience that you will have. Will you escape racism? No, but living abroad, will you die from it? Probably not. And that is a nice escape that, um, that exists. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Oh, so I got to ask. You were uh, obviously you are in Taiwan during. We've been in Taiwan this whole time during the whole pandemic, the racial pandemic and the pandemic itself. So, yes. What was it like for your family watching what was happening here? You know, um, sad <laughs> and surreal on both pandemics. Um, very relatable in terms of the racial pandemic, because, like I said, I've had my own experiences. Um, of reasons why I'm in no rush to get back to the U.S. I love everybody. I'm not, you know, anti-American. I'm very much a, a patriot and, you know, whatever that means for Black people, because it's different. Um, <laughs> but in terms of the COVID pandemic, for me, it was sad to watch things play out in the U.S., knowing that we were sitting here in Taiwan and I did a lot of press, a lot of interviews, a lot of posting, trying to help people through that moment because Taiwan was always like two or three months ahead of everybody else. Um, we've fared extremely well during the pandemic. I mean, life has gone on here. We've been in the new norm for almost a year. We are just now having like a small little smurge of, of local cases. We flattened the curve didn't really have local cases for eight, nine months, almost a year straight. 
um, life was going on, kids have been in school. I tried to help family and friends to see people debate over wearing masks and whether or not the pandemic was real, whether or not COVID really existed. It was just sad to see politics overshadow life and to know that it did not have to look that way because it doesn't look that way here. And to know that um, I really feel like it became a political issue as opposed to a people issue. And I've had a lot of family members, a lot of colleagues, a lot of legal colleagues that have contracted COVID and whether or not they even survive long hauler syndrome, nobody's really talking about that. Nobody's really talking about the impact of a family member that is just now able to remember the fact that she got married. Wow. It's a neurological, they don't talk about the onset of dementia in 50 year olds from the neurological impact of even having COVID. I have a family member that has permanent lung damage um, from it and permanent. It's not going away and it's been six months and it is permanent. And so, you know, it's just, it's been heartbreaking. Um, I haven't been able to go home. Uh, it's not safe for me to go home. I can always go, I can, I can go home. I'm not going home. I have asthma. You know, I can't play those kind of games. Um, but it's been sad that I can't see my grandmother who turned 91 yeah. uh, July of last year. And I can't see my family members. So even when you're in a place of safety, the limitations and restrictions, you still feel it. Now, not to the extent that they have felt it in terms of being in lockdown for this amount of time, which I personally feel like is mentally, so mentally unhealthy, but not being able to go home and see family. My biggest prayer now is, Lord, please don't let anybody really close to me die and me have to make the decision whether or not I attend their funeral. Yeah. Uh, that's that's been the biggest thing because Taiwan has some wonderful rules and regulations in place, and the schools here have great regulations that have been in place for quite some time. So you know, traveling out of the country as a parent, it's not really an option, and um, and that's kept us safe. But it's been hard to watch things play out in a way that it really didn't have to go down like that, and it's been unfortunate. But we've learned a lot. And uh, I think the best, one, one good thing that we've done is become connected through Zoom and different ways of, you know, letting the world become smaller through technology. Yeah, yeah you're not, you and I are talking through Zoom now. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting hearing you describe it because living in, in America during this time, you know, it's going on over a year right now. A lot of my friends abroad will say the same thing you're saying uh, about, especially ones in New Zealand. I know New Zealand and is yeah. that, New Zealand is it's another. You know, yeah, we've got a travel bubble, or getting ready to have a travel bubble with New Zealand, Singapore, um, and Taiwan, and I think one other Guam, I think, or something like that. Places that have fared extremely well, extremely low numbers. Like I think we have had eleven people that have died. I think that's it. Well, rest in power to all those, all those people and their family and people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, 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 my friends in, in, I guess, New Zealand and, uh, and one in Australia, the Americans there, 
they have sounded, have echoed every single sentiment you said. It's they can, but they won't come back. <laughs> and, and, and the ones that had to stay on for the visas, they stayed on there as long as they could. But then the decision to, uh, to make was what state do I move to? Because I don't know, you know, what state it's there. So it's, it's very fascinating for me watching many Americans abroad um, think about whether they want to come back home. Which is, which is interesting. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just, uh, well, I have asthma. My son has asthma. You know, I, um, I would love to see my family. I would love to, but until it is safe, that's just not. And, and it's so unfortunate because I watched month after month. I mean, when it first started happening, when it first happened, I really thought that it was an Asian thing and that it was going to stay over here. Because, you know, it's always something coming out of this region, you know, whether it's bird flu, swine flu, something. And so I always thought, I initially, I thought, it's just something that we're going to go through over here because I was telling people like, hey, our schools are shut. You know, hey, I haven't left my apartment in two weeks. And, you know, the downtown is like a ghost town. And everybody was like, oh, really? Sounds interesting. And no one, I because I still uh, run a charity in London. And I was talking to my executive director about International Women's Day, March of 2020. And she was telling me, I think you're overreacting. I don't think anything's going to make it all the way over here to London. I think that's just going to be where you are. You should probably come here and get a break. And it should be fine. <laughs> And I felt like I was, I, I went to London in March and I felt like I was running from COVID the whole time. Like COVID was right here on my heels and I felt like I was running from it the whole time. I honestly thought that it was just something we were going through in, in January and February of 2020 when we started the process. And um, to know that it could have been a lot different, but we are where we are. We can only look forward. Um, it is so unfortunate. I think just the amount of people that have died. I, it's just, I, I have no words and that is uncommon for me. So, <laughs> so. Well, there's no easy way to transition out of this, but a place where you do have words is your scripted show. Your unscripted show, I should say, sorry. Yes. Um, talk about this. This, this, is, this is an amazing concept. Just mm -hmm. thinking about you and your family navigating what it's like. Uh, how did that come about? I had the idea for the show uh, about five, almost six years ago now when we were living in London. It was almost close to our last year there. And um, I'm a huge fan or used, well, I kind of still am. I When reality TV first came out, I found it fascinating, um, but I also found it lacking. Like, I think that there's something for everybody. And people always ask me, like, um, because the format of our show is extremely positive and we're showing, you know, Black life abroad. And I was in the nail shop. I was in Brick Lane uh, in London, going into work one day, and I was going to get my nails done. And there was a show that came out years ago about Black sorority life. And they had sorority. It was only out for one season because every sorority we did it that we were like, no, that's not happening. Um, it came on for one season. And this, this is honestly where the show concept came from. I, I had the idea about it, but I wasn't sure, 
if there was really a need that as a artist, as a content creator, filmmaker, storyteller, always want to do something that actually there's a need for it. There's a new story, something that needs to be shown or done, but that you, you wonder whether or not people really want to see it. And so I was getting my nails done and this show had come out and it was really negative. Um, black people, black women fight each other and stuff. And so this lady was British and she was black. She was getting my nails and I put my keychain down on the table. It had my sorority insignia on it. And she turned to me and she admonished me hard. She was like, why are you acting that way on television? You're supposed to be educated black women. Why are you putting us in this position? And everybody's going to think we act this way. And I was like, whoa, lady, I'm not on the show. You know, that's first. Um, and yeah. she just went yeah. on it. And then it, it dawned on me, I'm like, man, these shows really are impacting how we are seen globally. Because you think about it as an American, like, okay, everybody in America is watching, but it's a world watching. So that was one thing that I was like, oh, wow, how we're being portrayed in what is supposed to be reality shows impacting how the world is seeing us as black people, period. Then we used to do this thing called Soul Food Sundays in London, um, where all the African-American people would get together. We would go different houses. And one time we were at this house in particular, and it was like 35 of us, Frank and Bear and Mays was playing. We were barbecuing on the lawn. We could have been anywhere. Could have been in Detroit, could have been in Atlanta, could have been anywhere. And then you look up and there's Windsor Castle. And I looked around the, 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 the garden. I was gonna say the yard, but I can't see you say that because it's London. So I looked around the garden and I saw vice presidents and executives and doctors and lawyers and all black and beautiful black children running around with British accents and you know all these third culture kids and in that moment, I stood there and I was like, no one's ever seen this. No one's ever seen this. No one ever will see this if I don't create this show. And so in that moment, coupled with, you know, the, knowing the importance of being able to show positive Black images internationally, um, it was born. And so I wanted to show expats um, to break stereotypes, not only for Black people in general, but for Black men professional black men um, for black children so they can see themselves abroad and to know so they won't wait until their honeymoon so they'll think about exchange programs and think about living abroad seeing life outside of their zip code and then also seeing black women and black people dealing with the dramas of life because life is dramatic enough when you're living abroad you know um, it takes me going to four different shops just to make a single meal. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of, life doesn't stop. You know, I, I went through health scares. I had uh, unfortunate, you know, negative mammograms that I had to go through, through all the transition. Life doesn't stop while you're living abroad. People think that you're just on a very long vacation. Not it is not that at all. You are living abroad. And so everything that comes with life you do it in an unknown territory, sometimes with language barriers, to the best of your ability with all of the natural other things that are going on in your life from relationships to health issues to, you know, you are my first experience of, of being a trailing spouse, I moved from Chattanooga to Indianapolis. And so 
the idea of being a trailing spouse was something we explored deeply in the show. But that's where it came from. I knew that I wanted to do something like House Hunters meets Cosby meets, you know, it needed to be entertaining. It's edutainment. I think the Black Panthers coined that phrase back in the 60s of entertaining and educating at the same time. And that's what I wanted to do. But I really wanted to put forth really positive images of Black people. I should have put a trigger on it because some of our, I think like 90% of our reviews on Amazon are like five stars and you got like one star from some person like, oh, the go rich Black people again. And I'm like, again? But if you, I will say a warning, if you don't like seeing happy Black people and positive images of Black people, don't watch our show because it's going to make you mad. Because we're, you know, we're dealing with real dramas of life, real things that happen. And it is, um, it is unscripted, but it's not like, you know, you can watch reality TV. Sometimes you can tell that it's a contrived storyline. Yeah. We're not, we don't need to do that. When you live abroad, you don't have to make up stuff. I guess, who, who could have made up COVID? There are movies that came up with something like that. You, you would never think well, of This is true. I am legend. Yeah. Yeah. Was, was a pre, was a warning. But to live through that and to show that how we, you know, dealt with a global, not only viral pandemic, but racial pandemic and dealing with being black and abroad is a show in and of itself if everybody had cameras rolling. So, um, so yeah, it, it was, I felt a lot of responsibility um, because I, I do believe that for me personally, God is, God is the ultimate creator. So all things creative come from him. These new ideas, everything that spawns in the brain, it comes through us but it comes from somewhere. And so, especially when you're doing something new that really hasn't been done, I do take a lot of uh, responsibility and it's a heavy mandate to carry something where you are doing a show about a sector of life that has never been shown that you know will have impact because the negativity of other shows has had impact. And so um, I just wanted to show us in a way that the world hadn't seen us before and put us in spaces where you hadn't seen us, but we have been and are everywhere. I love this. And thank you for doing that. And, and we'll, we'll make sure we'll put that in the show notes so that people can, can access it or at least know more information. Yeah, so we had a great, we ran for like a little over a month on Amazon, We um, almost a month. and. Once we like went over 2 million streams, some people came knocking. So we paused for a minute. I'm giving some time. I, I can't say what, because I take NDAs very seriously because I write them. Um, and, so, <laughs> and so I take them very seriously. Um, we, will re, we will relaunch. We actually added some footage, sort yeah. of revamped it a little bit, added a little bit for, so, so that it's worth your wait. Um, it will come back by the end of the month on some platform, which one I can't say yet, but um, watch the space, go to expatsshow.com and you'll know exactly where it's going to be, where all it's going to be. We are actually filming season two right now. My dream for the show was always that it would be a franchise, 
so that you would have expats Canada, expats London, expats Switzerland, and show us everywhere. And so um, season three will be expats Singapore, and we are franchising. That much I do, I can tell you, and I do know. And that is because in about eight weeks, I moved to Singapore. Oh, yeah. What? Well, <laughs> yeah, Singapore is on my list of places to visit. I have always wanted to go to Singapore, but I'm going to have to be yeah. a little curiosity through you and your family. That's amazing. There you go. It, well, it's, and then we went there once when we moved here um, in 2019. Yeah, funny thing, funny story. I was walking through the gardens. I stopped and I told my husband, and I don't know, you know, you speak things and manifest or whatever you want to call it. And I told my husband, I said, you know, if there's any place in Asia that I could live or would want to live, I think I would want to live here. This is amazing. Yeah, other than Taiwan. And he was like, oh, I don't think that's going to happen. And I'm like, well, you never know. And we just kept walking. And here we are. We are. So we are. In, in July, we move to Singapore. And well, um, The episode will be out July, so it's perfect timing. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes. Uh, now you won't see Singapore till like probably about season three. So we'll film. It's expats. Season two will be expats Taiwan. Season three will be expats Singapore. Whole new and even season two we got a whole new group of people and cast. We're focusing because each season I want to have different themes of expat life. Season two will be all about relationships and dating mm -hmm. and what that looks like abroad and other people. And so we've got about 10 other Black expats that we're going to explore their world, their lives. Um, because my husband and I came together as a package. This whole dating scene internationally, it's interesting. <laughs> well, <laughs> luckily, you don't have to go through it anymore. But it's, it's, it's not, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a complex world out there. It uh, is. It's very complex. Complex. That's a good. That's a good. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, it's going to be great. <laughs> I'm excited for it. But before we go, I, I have to give you a chance to talk about your books as well, because you're also an author. Yes. Yes, I am. Um, I have a couple of books. My latest book is Fabulous, Faithful and Free. And it's for women. It's really about my journey because people ask me all the time similar to you, how did you come to this place? Like you're so comfortable now and where you are, what was the process? What did it look like? Um, can you mentor me? Can you talk? And I can't pour into everybody. I can't, you know, help everyone. I wish I could, but I poured it all into a book and I put it all there. And then people said, well, you talk about these exercises that you did in this journaling, you know, what does that look like? So I put it in the back of the book, but then I, pulled it out and made it into a six to eight week journal and journey that they can go through. So there's a journal workbook that comes with the book, but it's all about giving yourself permission to be everything that you are, to be fabulous, to be faithful, to be free, faithful to who you are, faithful to your belief system, um, faithful to your own skill set and your own giftings and to be free enough to really be fabulous all the way in it. So it is, people ask me what the book is about. I'm like, the title is exactly what the, exactly what the book is about. Um, and it's for women and young girls just to help them through the journey and maybe give them some of the wisdom so they don't have to waste four months on a couch looking backwards instead of looking forwards. Um, so 
that's part of it. And then I also have a seven part children's book series uh, for children of color. And it is a Christian book series, multicultural series for kids and a coloring book that goes with it. We deal with everything from anti-bullying to confidence and self-esteem. Um, my last book was Carissa's Pearls, which uh, is all about embracing your natural hair and the way God made you and loving who you are. My sister's name is Carissa. I named it after her uh, and all of her beautiful big curls that she has. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited. I have my first book signing in Taiwan, uh, May 22nd. So I'm excited about that. Nice. And, and they can find all these books on your website? Yes, they can find it on the website or Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You know, I sound like a commercial. Anywhere that fine books are sold. So you can find them there and just Google my name. But they can go to my website, IamJuanitaIngram.com, and you can find them there as well. But they're on Amazon and um, Barnes & Noble and Waterstone, I think, in the UK. So, yeah. Yeah, Waterstone. Uh, oh, last question is my mission statement reframed as, 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 a, as a question, which is, how do you use your difference to make a difference, Juanita? Mm, I use my difference to make a difference through fashion, faith, and film. I empower other women. Yes, that's what I do. I empower other women and youth through those areas. Um, I'm a lawyer, but I'm a different kind of lawyer. And so I use both sides of my brain creatively. And um, that's, that's what I do whether it's Dress for Success. So I am the founder of Dress for Success in London and Dress for Success in Chattanooga. And so that's the fashion piece of using fashion to empower women and get them back in the workplace, change the trajectory of their lives. But uh, yeah, that's what we do. Use a difference to make a difference by being whole brain. So. By being a whole brainer and, don't, and unapologetically so. Somebody gave me a book that was called Whole Brainer um, many years ago. I had a life coach because I, I had to pull it all together because yeah. at first people were like, you seem really flighty. You're doing all these things. And I don't, I can't see the connection. And that seems weird. Um, but really then when I came up with the three, a alliteration of attorney, author, actress, it's just who I am. It's right. just what I do. And that's just who God may be. And 10 years from now, I may come up with three other A's of what I do. You never know, you know, God's words said he pours out new and gifts refreshed and new every single day and mm. so we get to be refreshed and new every single day if you allow yourself to be if you let it happen that you know what on that sermon we we, we will we, we will close Ask the collection plate and say amen all right <laughs> uh i gotta thank you thank you so much Juanita, for coming on and really being vulnerable and and authentic you know just sharing your experiences I feel like, you know, this is an episode that many people are just going to listen and find themselves in. So thank you for doing that and, and really just listen to for many of us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here. And thank you for creating this platform and this space for people to come on and, and be encouraged and be inspired and for us to share this, especially as people um, who are living nomadically, if you will, to just share the journey. So thank you. It's my pleasure and thanks Queens Royalty. Till next time, use a difference, make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads 
podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.